conversations that are gospel conversations because I believe that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 11, says something incredible about what's going to happen at the end of days. And here's what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, that says that at the end of days when Jesus comes back, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language will bow down at the name of Jesus, will bow down his presence and proclaim that he is Lord over all. And some of those will be non-believers, some of those will be believers, but no matter what, they'll be able to say, yeah, Jesus, you're right. Yeah, Jesus, you are who you say you are. And here's the thing. I want to see that when Jesus comes, but I want to see that on this side of heaven as well. I want to see that, and we should want to be able to see that on this side of heaven. And that takes so much intentionality because we need to be able to be the ones who step out in boldness and say, okay, I love you because God loves you. And, and I've seen this even in our church. And I'm just so, I just want to say I'm thankful for you guys. And I'm thankful and I'm proud of you because I'm proud to go to a church that understands the power of the gospel. I think we also understand that eternity is at stake, that people's eternity is at stake. And I'm also proud and thankful that I, we go to a church that is really devoted on being a family of faith. And that's something that we strive to be is this family who works together for the gospel to accomplish the great commission as we live out the great commandment. And so I just want to make sure I said those things to you because uh, this is just an important time in the life of our church. An important time where we are reconstructing things in ourselves and, and even as a congregation. And so as we walk together, I want to make sure we keep that in mind. And so to start our, our message uh, this morning, I want to just point something out to you. And maybe you realized this last week, or maybe you realized this a couple years ago. But have you ever noticed that you can recognize your parent's voice or your guardian's voice no matter where you're at? Like you might be in this crowd of people at the fair, you might be at Walmart because you got lost because you're looking at Nerf guns or something, and so you're over here just like messing around, and all of a sudden you hear your parents' voice, your guardian's voice, and you just recognize it. Now, let's just be honest real quick, okay, I'm going to take a time out and be honest. Sometimes our parents' or guardian's voices really annoy us no matter what age we're in. No matter what age, because you know, when we were younger, we got so annoyed and frustrated when mom or dad or guardian was like, hey... Clean your room, take out the trash, brush your teeth, brush your hair, uh, this, 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 and this. And you get so annoyed and frustrated. And now that you're older, you're getting really annoyed and frustrated with your parents that are telling you what to do, how to raise your kids, how to raise your grandkids, and this, and this, and this. You get me? You feel me? But what's interesting is that not only do we recognize the, the voice of our parents and guardians, but either it really annoys us or we delight in the voice of our parent or guardian. And if we're honest, we kind of lean towards the more uh, annoyed and frustrated and upset and mad. And the reason I, I point that out to us is because in the same way, it could kind of be the same thing with God. Whereas believers, we can recognize the Lord's voice and we can recognize him in our lives. But when he says something to us, we get really annoyed, we get really frustrated, or we get mad. And we don't delight in the Lord's voice. If anything, we just get frustrated. And my prayer today is is that we would be the opposite. My prayer today is that we would delight in the Lord's voice, that we would delight in him. And so maybe we need to reconstruct how we listen to God, reconstruct how we listen to him. And that's actually the, the title of our message this morning is Reconstruct How to Listen. Reconstruct How to Listen. So we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8 together. Nehemiah chapter 8, so go ahead and turn there. 
And I just want to remind us a little bit that we have been just walking through Nehemiah. We've gone through chapters 1 all the way to chapter 7. We've seen how God's hand was on Nehemiah and the people of Israel and how God just reconstructs a place, the place of Jerusalem. But if you remember the question I asked you at the very beginning of the sermon series, that was what does God need to reconstruct in you? We recognize that God reconstructs a place, but he also uh, reconstructs a people. And so I just want to make sure we're on the same page on that as we uh, go to Nehemiah chapter 8. And uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 has some really fun names again. And so I practice these names, and I'm still going to get them wrong. Okay, so just bear with me. But if you're there in Nehemiah chapter 8, let's go ahead and turn together, and we'll start reading and starting in verse 1, and we'll read all the way to verse 6. So let's go ahead and stand, read Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Starting verse 1, it says this. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before uh, the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on the right stood, and here, here we go with these names, Meditiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Meesiah, and on his left were Pedaiah, Mishael, hello. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, Melchiah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book, all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen and Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their face to the ground. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, and praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look through uh, Ezra, or not Ezra, Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to see this main theme. And this main theme we're actually going to see uh, and point back to every time we hit a point or every time we try to apply it. And so here's the main idea, the main theme for us this morning I want you to write down is this, is that God's voice reconstructs God's people. God's voice reconstructs God's people. This is the main idea. So if someone asks you at lunch or later, hey, what did you learn at church today? You say, God's voice reconstructs God's people. And so if we think back at the life of Israel, really Israel's always been in the best place and the best spot whenever they long to hear the voice of God. And if you think about the voice of God, the word of God is the word of God that formed everything at the creation. We even see in, in John chapter 1 that Jesus is called the word of God. That the word of God is the one that helped out the Israelites in Mount Sinai. It was the word of God that brought Israel out of the first exile, then the second exile. It was the word of God in which uh, they were able to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, and then eventually rebuild the people. It was all God's word. So we see that God's voice, God's word reconstructs God's people. So then we look at uh, verses 1 through 6 in chapter 8. And here's what I want you to see, this kind of explanation point for us, is that we see a longing to hear God's voice. We see a longing to hear 
God's voice. So kind of there at the end of chapter 7, we see that Nehemiah had just brought everyone together for a census of saying, okay, who's here, who's not here, and then where is the land that we're going to give them? So now these people are together, and they're together as one. If you look, it says that they were together as one. Maybe your Bible says as one man. And you might be asking, okay, what does it mean that Israel was together as one man? Well, you could say that they were gathered together as one group, as one humanity, as, as one body of, of people. And so they're gathered together. And what's interesting to me is that as they're gathered together, they're wanting to hear the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And check this out. They're not in the temple, but they're outside the temple, gathered together. And what they don't say what they don't say is, hey, let's all go to the temple and we'll go, li- go, we'll go listen to the word of the Lord right there. And instead, they, they stood where they were at and said, hey, we want to listen to the word of the Lord here. And then Ezra, Ezra listens to them and he doesn't say, hey, okay, you want to listen to the word of God? Awesome, let's go to the temple and then we'll go listen there and then we'll come back. Instead, Ezra goes and gets the, the scripture and he comes and begins to read it to the people exactly where they're at. And maybe this morning, that's you. Maybe this morning you're like, Misael, I just need to hear the voice of the Lord exactly where I'm at in life. I need to hear it like right now. And what's beautiful about all of this is just the unity. You see, if the people of Israel would have gone to the temple, they, have, they would have had to separate. You know, men, women, children, Jew, non-Jew. But instead they're united as one outside the temple by the water gate to listen to the word of the Lord. And, and this is actually foreshadowing to what was going to happen once Jesus came. Because when Jesus came, he says that when you're in me, when you're in Christ, there is no longer Jew, Gentile, non-Jew, rich, poor, this or that. It is just one family of God. You are children of God in Christ. And so it's just whole beautiful foreshadowing of all of this. And then we look at verse 3. You know, verse 3 is this uh, moment where Ezra opens the book and, and he begins to just stand up and share what God Uh, he was reading what God had written. And this is pretty much what we're doing today, right? Someone is standing up and and reading out what what God has said, and and the people responded. I just love the response to say, amen and amen, and they bow down and they worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see Nehemiah opening the scriptures and, and just beginning to read and explain what God had done really demonstrates to us that God wasn't just there to reconstruct a place, but actually to reconstruct a people. Now, I, w- I want to be clear here. I didn't say reconstruct a person. I said reconstruct a people, meaning a group of people. Meaning that not only do we need to ask the question, okay, God, what are you reconstructing in me? But we need to ask the question, God, what are you reconstructing in us? In us as a group, in us as a one body of believers, us as the church. And as we do that, as we think about that, man, we need to be a people who together long to hear the voice of the Lord. We want to be a people who long for his voice and be a people who listen attentively to God's word so then we can respond and saying amen and amen, bowing down and worshiping the Lord with our faces to the ground. You see, I think the reason that Israel could respond like so quickly with these amens and then physically with their faces down on the ground is because they were listening, listening attentively. They were paying attention they, they had all their attention on the Lord and his word. Now I'm just going to take a step back and we're just going to have an honest time. We're going to have a little, a little honest moment. Because this is me, and I'm assuming this is us. But you know how like sometimes we're in a church service or sometimes uh, we're reading our Bible or sometimes we're praying. And like we're here, but not really here. 
You know what I mean? Like we're here, but our mind like starts wandering and, and going somewhere else. Uh, you see that happens. It really happens. We're human, and so that's going to happen from time to time. But the question is that we see here in, in, in the scripture is a, really, is a really tough question of saying how many moments or how many times have we really, really, really sat there, whether reading, praying, or in church, and listened attentively to God's word? And saying, okay, Lord, I want to attentively hear you and then hear your voice through your word. How many times have we really done that? I think that's a big challenge for us because we are so prone to be distracted rather than directed by the Lord. And so we hear God's voice, God's voice directs us. And so you see Israel's longing to hear God's voice, but not just a longing to hear it, but they have a longing to understand it. So that's the next thing that we're going to see is we're going to see a longing to understand God's voice. A longing to understand God's voice. We see that in verses 7 to 12, and we have some more fun names here, so bear with me. But verse 7, starting verse 7, I want you to read with me. It says this, The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Hakub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Meesiah, uh, Kelita, Ereziah, Jezebad, Hanan, and Pelaiah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving it the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites were instructing the people, uh, saying to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and and sweet drinks and send them to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. So here we see a longing to understand God's voice. And so we have uh, these 13 people, these 13 individuals who are standing on the platform with Nehemiah. And some are standing on the left, some are standing on the right. And uh, back then they had these scrolls. And so I'm assuming maybe some of these guys helped Nehemiah hold the scroll. And then, you know, he preached from like morning to night pretty much, which is not what I'm going to do today. But that's what Nehemiah was doing. And, you know, he just kind of went at it. But as he was preaching, the people were being very, very convicted They're being so convicted that they started weeping and crying and mourning. And you could say that they're just in this moment of of repenting. And as all of this is happening, you have another 13 men that are with them and among them. So I can almost just like visualize the people here in this like these little small groups. These small groups and then these men are just walking around saying, okay, you know, do you need help understanding what Ezra is saying? And what's interesting is that there's some translations of the Bible that they, they don't just say that these men were helping uh, people understand uh, what Ezra was saying, but they're helping translate. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. So as I looked up some commentaries and some scholars, there's some scholars that believe there are people in the crowd who, yes, they understood Hebrew and the Hebrew that, that Ezra was talking, but their primary language is Aramaic. And then they believe that some of those 13 that were amongst the people, uh, you know, trying to help them understand, were actually doing some translation. They're saying, hey, let me help you understand this in Aramaic because I'm bilingual, you know, I speak Hebrew and I speak Aramaic, and so here you go. 
which is so interesting because it's like, man, isn't that what we're trying to do as a church? What we're trying to do is help people in this community, people in Tulsa, understand the word of God, not just in English, but in Spanish. I thought that was just really cool. And so as they're doing this, they're helping them understand the language that Ezra is using, but also helping understand the meaning behind what's happening. Because again, they're, they're being so convicted by the word of God. And what's, what's interesting is that um, this was the beginning of a celebration uh, time period where this was all supposed to be a celebration moment where Ezra is going to read the law and it was just supposed to be a big party. But instead of being a big party, everyone is just crying and weeping. And Ezra and Nehemiah are like, guys, guys, it's supposed to be a celebration moment. Like, don't mourn, don't weep. And in verse 10, it says that this is a holy day for the Lord your God. Don't mourn, don't weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Listen to it. And so, <laughs> I just love the response of, of Nehemiah. Check out verse 10. This one more time. It says, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send them to those who have nothing prepared. This is the holy day to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So again, they're, they're weeping, they're repenting. And you know what Nehemiah says? Nehemiah says, hey, stop, stop with the crying, stop with the weeping. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, Israel, you are sinners. Yes, you are the worst. But go eat some food, okay? Go have some delicious food, some delicious drinks. And then after you do that, let's come back and let's celebrate. I love the practicality of the Bible, you know, where it's like they were, they were just like dwelling in their sin and they were just keep continuing just talking about their sin and they were just uh, completely engulfed in thinking about their sin that Nehemiah's like, okay, hold on, time out. Do you know that God has been with you? Do you remember that God has saved you? So go eat some food, have something to drink, and let's come back and celebrate. And this just should remind us, because maybe you're, you're in this moment today, this should remind us that we shouldn't dwell on our sin, but we should dwell in delight in the Lord. Amen. Let's not dwell on our sin, let's dwell in delight in the Lord, because isn't that what Jesus came? Isn't that why he came? So we wouldn't delight in our sin, that we wouldn't be uh, absolutely demolished by our sin, but that we'd be free, that we'd be free from our sin, find freedom in Jesus. That's why he came. And so what we're saying is like, hey, don't, don't go and just dwell on your sin, but dwell on the Lord because it is him that has brought us through everything. It is him who has saved us. And all of this was done, this whole remembering, this whole guiding the people of saying, go eat, go drink, remember that, that God is with you was all done in the context of a small group. This whole small group setting where after being, the, after being in the large group setting, it was in the small group setting where they heard all of this, and it just reminds me that small groups and large groups are really important in the life of our church. You see, this whole large group setting that we're in right now is a core value of our church and a core value of who we are, saying there is a vital and important thing when it comes to coming together, singing praises to the Lord, and then hearing the word taught and, and, and just spoken over us. But there's also a vital thing about being in a small group where it's, you're doing life with people who are next to you. You are, you are trying to understand what God is saying with the people next to you. You're trying to say, okay, what do I do in life? What do I do with this about God? What do I do this? And, and how can I mature more in my faith? Well, that's, a lot of that is done in a small group setting. We're doing life with people, so it's all done in that context. 
Because it's in that context that maybe someone can look at you in, in your toughest moments and say, hey, do you know that the joy of the Lord is your strength? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so we see that here, this whole, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. But what does that mean? Right at the very end of, of verse 10, that's what it says. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean, that the joy of the Lord is our strength? What that really means is, is this whole joy that is the Lord's. That's the Lord's good pleasure, the Lord's joy. And practically, what we can take away from that is that we are to delight in the Lord. Because when we delight in the Lord, we fully understand that He is in us and we are in Him. We are in Him and He is in us and and He walks with us and we can delight in Him. We can listen to Him in delight. Now let's just take another step back and just kind of make it personal real quick. Isn't it interesting how it's really hard to delight in the Lord when we are broken over our sin? Isn't it interesting to delight in the Lord when we feel just so far away from him and we just feel like we're in this darkness and we we just can't go to him? If you're in that moment this morning, today, my encouragement is the same as, as Nehemiah, especially if you're a believer. Hey, go get some really good food and drink a Dr. Pepper and remember that the Lord is good. And remember that we can dwell in him. Like I just, I want to point to you, I want to point to Hebrews chapter 4 to you, uh, verse 14. I want you to write that down. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, I was able to study this with some people this past week and it just hit me and I was like, oh, I got to include this. So let me read this over you. Check this out. If you're someone in here who's like beating yourself up over your own sin, this is for you today. Okay? I'm not going to have you raise your hand if you're beating yourself up over sin. But... This is for you as as a believer. It says, Therefore, since we have a high priest, a great high priest, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And that is beautiful. Maybe this morning you are broken over your sin and you're thinking, man, I'm so undeserving of God's grace. I'm so undeserving of God's love. Well, I'm here standing up in front of you saying, you're right. (laughs) You are so not deserving. You are so not deserving of his love and of his grace. But that's the point. That's the point of God's love and God's grace is that even though we were so undeserving, he still gave it. Even though we didn't deserve his love and his grace, he still gave it. And God's voice reconstructs his people. Even in the midst of brokenness, he reconstructs us and he asks us to approach his throne of grace. Though his throne is one of judgment, he says, now approach my throne of grace and you will find mercy. You will find, you will find an undeserved favor You will find salvation. You will find transformation. You will be born again and be created anew. And there's no shame. There's no shame here. You're made new. That's what we're seeing right here, is that we can have the joy of the Lord in every single situation. And this is just amazing because if we sometimes walk through life and and we're thinking that the Lord's voice is annoying, that the Lord's voice is frustrating, we can always remember, oh, man, Man, maybe that's on me. Maybe that's not on the Lord. 
because he is asking me to approach his throne of grace, to live in his joy and in his strength. So we've seen a, a longing to hear God's voice. We've seen a longing to understand God's voice. Here's the third thing that we're going to see. We're going to see a longing to embrace God's voice and longing to embrace it. And, th- and this is all very strategic because in order to embrace God's voice, you have to understand it. In order to understand God's voice, you have to hear it. And so you have to hear, understand, and then embrace. And this word embrace is, is very strategic. And so I want us to start reading in verse 13. Verse 13 it says this. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, uh, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people did exactly that. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, in the square by the water gate, in the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was great. Day after day, day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated in the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. And so in all of this, we see a longing to embrace God's voice. A longing to embrace God's voice. And so uh, we see that this is actually day number two of this whole uh, time period of festivities and celebration. And on day number two, you have kind of like these heads of households and, and these Levites and these priests that are wanting to have like a more intimate uh, moment with Ezra and saying, no, Ezra, like, let's have like a special Bible study where you're teaching us even more about the law and more about what we should do. So Ezra's telling him, he's like, okay, well, here's the law of Moses. Here's what we have to do and what, what, what's going on. And then what happens is Israel's like, man, I need to embrace that. Man, I need to do what the Lord has asked us to do. And so what they do is exactly what Ezra had said. He says, okay, well, if you're telling us we have to do this with olive branches and with trees and with the palm trees, okay, well, I'm going to do that. Why to, to be able to celebrate the, the feast and this festival of booths? And you might be saying, Misael, question, question, question. What is the feast, the feast of booths? What's the festival of booths? Hey, great question. Here's what the festival of booths are. Booths are pretty much tents. And so it was a festival of tents that commemorated how God had brought Israel out of the wilderness how God brought them out of Egypt and how he was with them throughout that whole time period in, in the wilderness and in the desert, and they had to like live in these tents. And so they're celebrating and commemorating this moment. And what they do is they, say, they embrace God's voice, they obey God's voice, and what they understand is this. They understand that God's voice is good for them. They understand that they need God's voice in their life. They understand that without God's voice, they don't have direction. Without God's voice, they don't know where to go or what to do or how to build or what to build. They do need the Lord to say, yeah, this is what you do and this is what you don't do. Why? Because for their good, for their benefit. 
And so I just want to take you back to the very beginning where I was like, yeah, you can recognize your parent or your guardian's voice. And sometimes it, it does annoy you, but sometimes you can delight in it. Well, my whole encouragement to you is to continue to delight in God's voice, to seek him out. He's there with us. And, and that's really our big application uh, for us this morning. I've, I've alluded to it. I've foreshadowed to it. Uh, but here it is. The big application for us is just listen and delight. Listen and delight to God's voice, to God's word. And that's just so important for us because how many times do we listen with frustration to God's voice? How many times do we, do we listen in, in, in maybe arrogance instead of listening with delight? How many times do we listen passively rather than listening with attentiveness? You see, because when it comes to the Lord and he's with us, he's walking with us, and we are to delight in him because he is our joy and our strength and I want to listen to him with absolute delight and joy, attentiveness. And you might be asking me, Sal, okay, how, how do I listen to the Lord with delight? How, how do I do that? Well, I, I do want to point you to the simple mere fact of the Bible and how we can listen to the Lord's voice and connect with God through his word. But I want to take it even a step further uh, because it is true that we do listen to the Lord through his word. But I want to take a step further and saying, delighting in the Lord is recognizing the joy, the joy that he is in us and we are in him. Delighting in the Lord is recognizing that he loves us and and we love him. And no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, he is with us and we can delight in him in every single situation. And when we recognize that we can delight and just find joy in the Lord, man, that means that we can delight in the Lord as we look at nature, we can delight in the Lord as we hang out with friends. We can delight in the Lord as when we're with family. We can delight in the Lord when, when we are in the happiest times of our life and the saddest times of our life. Why? Because God is in us through Christ and the Holy Spirit, and then we are in Him, that we are in Christ. So the delighting in the Lord is... It's something I think that I needed to remember. I think that we need to remember. And if you're, if you're not a believer this morning, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, can I just tell you you're missing out? You really are. You're missing out in being able to delight in the Lord and the joy that we have in him, the strength that we have in him. And then if you're a believer this morning, can I encourage you to delight in him and to approach his throne of grace? to approach his throne of grace, yes, with humility, yes, with brokenness, but understanding that when you approach the throne of grace, God says, through Jesus, I have mercy on you. I love you. I'm here with you. Man, it's time to walk in righteousness. Yeah, don't sin anymore, but let's continue to walk. I want to encourage you to approach his throne of grace. I want to encourage you to listen in delight because it is God's voice that reconstructs his people. And so here's how I want to end this morning. We're actually doing this in both campuses. The way we're ending at both campuses is we want our people to pray for each other. Uh, Because I want you to look at the person on your right and on the person on your left real quick. Just give it a good glance. Let me see your head swivel. There you go. There you go. Now let me ask you this question. When is the last time you prayed for that person you just looked at? When is the last time that you prayed over them and for them? And so what we're going to do this morning is we are going to enter a time of prayer 
Uh, But I do want you to first pray for the person on your right. And then after that, I'll kind of interrupt you. And then I'll guide us into praying for the person on your left. And this is really important for us because I think in this moment, in the time, in the life of our church, we need to pray for each other. And what I want you to pray over that person on your left and on your right, pray that they would delight in the Lord. Pray that they would find joy in the Lord and strengthen him. Pray those things. Pray that God's voice would reconstruct them. And so you can pick one of those three. You can pray all three. But I'm going to give you a minute each time. And you can either do it quietly. You can do it out loud, whatever that looks like. But we are going to go into a moment of of prayer. And so in this moment, in this time, right now, I want you to look at the person on your left. And if you don't have someone on your left, pick someone else in the room. And go ahead and just start praying for that person on your left and praying for them. And, uh, and I'm going to give you just some time to do that. So go ahead.